First of all, I'd like to thank um, the organizer for having me here. But most of all, I'd like to thank all of you for waking up early. <laughs> uh, this is like 7 a.m. East Coast time, which means it's 4 a.m. my San Francisco time. So it's pretty amazing that uh, this many people actually show up <laughs> for this, <laughs> this early lecture, especially because the topic is going to be on not only psychodermatology, but a particular part of psychodermatology, which is how to deal with delusional patients. Now, many dermatology providers, um, dermatologists, uh, dermatology PA, uh, nurse practitioners, pr practically everybody, cringe when they hear that there's a delusional patient waiting to be seen. You know, so uh, it's pro because probably one of the more challenging and difficult situation you encounter in clinical practice. And in that kind of setting, you have one of two options. Either run away, <laughs> or, or, or learn to deal with it. <laughs> and I think everybody here is <laughs> uh, going to learn to deal with it. So. Um, congratulations for your motivation to um, face it positively. Now, <clears throat> um, one of the other reasons, besides you know, uh, the main reason of trying to be a good um, helper to patients, uh, there is another reason why it's good to know how to handle these patients skillfully. Uh, I don't know how many people uh, here know, maybe many of you know this, Starting in about six months, provider reimbursement in America, whether it's dermatology or psychiatry or internal medicine or surgery, is going to become more and more dependent on patient satisfaction. You know, there's a whole radical uh, shift in how providers are going to be paid, uh, which is called value-based reimbursement. And if you never knew what that is, just look it up in Google. It's not just Medicare. It's, it's the whole uh, association of payers. They got together, and this is beyond Obamacare. And they decided that how we're going to get paid depends on whether the patients are satisfied or not. Now, for me, because I work for University of California, San Francisco, UCSF, which has more than 100 providers, this is going to kick in in six months, January 1st. And if my personal patient satisfaction score for below 50th percentile of similar practitioner in my vicinity, I'm going to get penalized. And if I'm above 50%, I might get a bonus. Now, the whole, whole thing is going to kick in very slowly because U.S. government doesn't want revolt. So it's a start on, with only a few percentage points. But it's expected to become bigger and bigger in your lifetime. Um, starting 2017, every provider is going to be subjected to this reimbursement system from Medicare. And you know when Medicare does something, private insurance usually follow, especially if they thought they can save money. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so you don't want to fall below 50th percentile of similar practitioner in a similar specialty in your vicinity. And falling below 50th percentile means if 99, you know, 98 percent of your patients are happy, but everybody else have 99 percent of their patients happy, you fall below 50th percentile and get penalized. 
Now, that's one problem with this system, and I'm not in favor of it, but it's going to happen anyway. You know, the second reason that, it's, it, you know, that relates to this topic is, you know, so how do patients know uh, or how do they communicate to the government or, you know, or any, you know, Medicare whether they're happy with us or not? It's actually done Yelp style. What that means is that the, uh, there's going to be a mandatory requirement that all patients are given option to give feedback, but you know most of them are not going to bother. But guess who's going to bother to sit down <laughs> in front of the computer <laughs> and, 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 and uh, well, either people who are so amazingly happy or people who are pissed. <laughs> and a lot of people with delusional disorders are pissed because it's very easy for them to feel that they're not being paid attention to, they're not respected, they're ignored, they're neglected. You know, so, so you certainly don't want to have few people like these rack your um, patient satisfaction score, which can negatively and directly impact on your reimbursement rate. So anyway, so there's an you know, added reason, I think, to, to uh, learn to uh, handle these patients uh, better. Now, I don't have any conflict of interest because psychodermatology is an area that industry forgot. What that means is that you know, there are many products, uh, antidepressant, antipsychotic, you know, Paxil, Zoloft, you know, the, uh, Prozac. Well, if you go through the past 100 years of dermatology you know, journals, like Journal of American Academy of Dermatology or whatever, you don't find a single advertisement about Ativan or Prozac or anything. You know, so there is no sponsor for me to have any conflict of interest. Now, that also means uh, dermatology and dermatology providers are uniquely afraid of using psychotropic medications because we never see them, not even advertisement. You know, however, that the fact is Majority of psychotropic medications, especially anti-anxiety agents, antidepressants, are prescribed in America by non-psychiatrists. They are uh, more prescribed by people like internal medicine, primary care, family practice, even pediatrician, than by psychiatrists. But in dermatology, we have a strange situation. Because the industry forgot us that we exist, that many dermatologists and dermatology providers like yourself ask questions that nobody else asks in America. Is it okay for me to prescribe this medicine? <laughs> when in fact, it's already been done by, by a huge number of non-psychiatric providers, including, as I said, primary care, family practice, so, forth, so on and so forth. Yes, it's totally fine, because many of these people as you probably know, don't want to go see psychiatrists, especially if they're delusional. So here's a cartoon that one of my uh, colleagues, a uh, fellow faculty at UCSF, gave it to me long times ago, 20-some years ago. And caption got cut off. But what it said was, um, as, as you can you know, see, there's a guy about to jump over a building. Here's a policeman with a dermatologist. <laughs> And the caption said, we couldn't find a psychiatrist. Do you have any problem with your skin? <laughs> well, this is sort of a uh, situation that happens all too frequently 
in dermatology practice, you wish they go see a psychiatrist, but especially people who are delusional, they don't want to go see a psychiatrist because they have no insight. They believe it's, it, they really have infestation or more gallons. They really think something's coming out of their skin. By the way, later on I found out this came from Playboy, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> no, that's, that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> You know, so, so either we treat them or they, they won't get treated. And if we, you know, mindlessly tell them to go see a psychiatrist, they might really get pissed. So, psychosis. Psychosis is defined by presence of delusion. If, if they are hallucinating, but they know they are hallucinating, then they are not psychotic. Uh, how many of you have seen a uh, movie called Beautiful Mind. Oh, quite a bit, that's great. It's a very nice movie, by the way. Um, it, it, Professor Nash, uh, who is the main character in the movie, um, who received Nobel Prize for something. Anyway, um, it's a story about him becoming crazy. And if you remember in the movie, early on, he truly believed that you know, uh, FBI or CIA, I forgot. You know, uh, you know, all these people were after him. You know, so he reacted to it as, as all his delusions were real. Now, at that point in time, he was truly psychotic. He was delusional. Uh, he was psychotic because he was delusional. Now, at the end of the movie, the, uh, he received Nobel Prize in, of course, Stockholm, Sweden. And then after he had this Nobel Prize around his neck, um, he come out of the uh, auditorium uh, accompanied by his wife and he looked to the side and he see the same hallucinatory figure of this you know, FBI or CIA government agent. And if you remember, there was a little girl that he hallucinated as well. And then, and then his wife said, what's wrong? And she said, nothing. Well, at that point in time, he is not psychotic, he is not delusional, because he knew that those were not real. You know, so now, why is this important? It's important because not everybody who complain about crawling, biting sensations, which in dermatology we call formication, and I have to tell the patient it's spelled with M, <laughs> but anyway, that's also besides the point. Um, uh, not everybody who experienced that is uh, psychotic. Because if they know that they don't have parasite, then they just have formication. They do not have psychosis. And you can actually talk to them straight that this is, you know, this is not real. And there's a medication call, uh, you know, call, uh, for it. And Pimozide, Resperidol works extremely well, especially Pimozide or ORAP, which I'm gonna go into more detail later, works extremely well for formication, even without delusion. That's the crawling, biting, stinging sensation. Um, but on the other hand, if they believe that they are real, and they are really infested, then they're truly psychotic. And then it's more, diff more um, important that uh, you, you, know, you talk to them carefully. <laughs> You don't want to offend them by confronting their delusion that it's not real because that's what they have been through with you know, many other people and they might already be defensive. Um, so 
what I'm trying to say is that <clears throat> we think of psychosis as black and white. Either somebody's crazy or somebody's not crazy. But psychosis, just like most human uh, situation, appear to be more of a spectrum. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is that um, there are people who are normal, and then people who have overvalued ideas. Now, who has overvalued ideas? Probably everybody, <laughs> depending on what we value. Um, and then people who are delusional. Delusional sounds like delusion, but if you really establish good rapport and, and diplomatically ask, you know, does it have to be that way? They're still able to say, no, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, get me out of this misery. <laughs> and then people who are truly delusional. And then, in my opinion, there's somebody who are terminal delusion. You know, now, this is my own terminology, so don't take it seriously. Uh, so what is terminal delusion? Delusional people are people who totally believe that whatever they experience is real. So if you contradict them, they get offended. However, you know, these people are in great misery. So if you ask them to try something, even if it's trial and error, like here's a medication, it's called resperidol, or it's called you know, pimozide. Uh, we don't know how it works, but, you know, uh, but it really helps you get out of your misery. Would you like to try it? Then people who are absolutely convinced still might want to get out of their misery, so they say, give it to me. You know, you know, I'm, li I'm living in a living hell. If this can get me out of it, I don't care how it works. You know, that, that's still hopeful. People with terminal delusion are like end stage. They don't even care about getting relief. All they care about is validation. All they care about is for you or any authority figure, a healthcare worker, to say that they actually have parasites or you know, things are coming out of their skin. And, and that terminal delusion state, uh, I think, is almost nearly hopeless because it's hard to get them to motivate it for any kind of treatment. So you have normal people, people who only experience formication, but not convinced that these are parasites. Now, it's kind of rare, but sometimes you run into them. You know, the, the reason they're rare is because at that stage, not everybody goes, goes seek help. And then people who are, have overvalued ideas, delusional ideation, delusional state, terminal delusion. And I know it's not in the literature, but I think there is this whole spectrum. Now, in psychiatric literature, there are also uh, beyond delusions of parastosis or more gallons. You know, there's more and more awareness that uh, you know, delusional you know, ideas are actually not that uncommon among so-called normal people. You know, uh, you know, people can easily be mistaken. You know, how many times does some of you have thought that somebody was really, you know, doesn't like you? <laughs> Or, or somebody else is treating, you know, might like somebody else better than like me, kind of, and very convinced that that's the case until you, you know, had a chance to talk to the person and find out that you were totally mistaken. <laughs> I mean, that, that kind of, you know, um, erroneous idea, you know, happens frequently. Anywhere, you know, as much as one out of 10 so-called normal people, you know, have delusional idea from time to time. <laughs> You know, you know, so, and, and people who tend to have 
um, uh, mistaken idea that they become very ego invested in. Um, those people also in the studies were found to be more likely to become truly delusional later in life. You know, there are, there are certain uh, demographic um, you know, predispositions, you know, such as um, you know, people with lower education, people who tend to jump to conclusions, you know, people you know, who tend to, <coughs> um, I think, live in a, no, 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 don't take it negatively, <laughs> you know, the, the, away from the big cities, <laughs> you know, the younger age, lower socioeconomic class, you know, so if you look at the literature, it's kind of interesting that, you know, delusion is not necessarily black and white. You know, it's, it's, it seems to be a little bit of a continuum, and I think that applies to delusions of parastosis as well. Now, delusions of parastosis, which is over here, over there, is, is the most um, commonly talked about, uh, where people believe they have parasites. But, of, co uh, of course, there's uh, this term, which is unofficial, called... Morgellons. Now, Morgellons has never been officially defined by any medical establishment because uh, it was a term invented by you know, somebody in the Midwest somewhere. Um, it's kind of loosely known as things coming out of your skin and patients are totally convinced. And whether it's parasite coming out of your skin or whether it's fibers, or some other kind of inanimate object, you know, flying out, gushing out, you know, uh, poorly defined, you know. But, but uh, one thing is, uh, if you use the term Morgellons, um, patients tend to accept that more positively than if you call them delusional. <laughs> you know, so, so sometimes the terminology can be useful if you are wondering what can you call it. Now, you know, the other forms of uh, delusions, process, uh, delusions, uh, there's uh, delusions of dysmorphosis, which is like the delusional end of body dysmorphic disorder. You know, people who truly believe that they are disfigured or they have funny nose or misshapen, you know, uh, ears or something like that when they don't. And once again, if you think about body dysmorphic disorder, it's a whole continuum from people who are kind of pre, you know, worried about their appearance, but still kind of you know, know that it's excessive, to people who are more, more and more convinced that they are deformed, all the way to people who are totally delusional. And there's no way you can tell them that they don't have any de deformity. They totally believe that they have deformity. So once again, you have a continuum. Now, delusions of bromosis, that's, you know, that's extremely rare. Uh, that's uh, people who believe that they smell bad when they don't. Now, uh, a patient with delusions of parastosis came up to me, plopped this on my desk, and said, these are parasites. <clears throat> and I look at it, and, I, and then I look at her, and I say, ma'am, I only see water. And she said, of course you only see water. These parasites are invisible. <laughs> <laughs> the, the point is, you know, uh, you know, it's very natural to get tempted to, you know, rationally argue with them, but don't, or do it very carefully. You know, if they are truly delusional, by definition, they are impervious to rational, you know, discussion or argument. Uh, in fact, it makes them even more upset <laughs> if you try to argue with them. If, if, you know, so in this spectrum, if you thought that the patient in front of you are truly delusional, 
don't argue. If you think the patient is more sane, you know, more close to delusionoid ideation or overvalued idea, then um, you know, use your judgment. But once they trust you, then sometimes you can actually argue with them and turn them around if they are not truly delusional. Now, I'm going to talk about medication first, but we all know the medicine is not the big thing. In fact, if medicine is the only thing I'm going to talk about, I don't need an hour. You know, so, but, so I'm going to talk about medications first, but then I'm going to spend the rest of the time talking about how to connect to these patients, which is the bigger problem. You know, so, so, uh, the classic medication, the one that uh, works amazingly well for most people and been used for decades is called Pimozide. Brand name is ORAP. And this is um, a medication almost identical to Howdo. It's only one methyl group that's different. However, um, it's been noted decades ago that many usual kind of antipsychotic agents like Thorazine, Howdo, uh, nowadays, you know, prolexin, Narvain, you know, nowadays people don't use those old medicines too much. They don't seem to, they work fine for schizophrenia and other conditions. They don't seem to work for this type of delusion. Now, what, what type of delusion is this? It, it's sometimes called encapsulated delusion. Encapsulated means like craziness in a capsule. So if you have a typical classic case of delusions of parastosis, that person might be polite, that person might be nice, that person might be appropriate in every way, but if you talk to them about you know, this parasite thing, they're totally you know, out of it. And same thing as you know, if, if somebody have um, you know, Morgellons, you know, they might be perfectly fine in, in, in you know, pretty normal, except when they talk about fibers moving in their skin. You know, that is a big contrast to schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is a multifunctional deficit. They not only have strange ideas, I'm talking about schizophrenics, but they also see things. They hear things. You know, they might, a uh, schizophrenic patient might have flat affect, or they might be laughing at funeral, you know, inappropriate affect. You know, so schizophrenia is a multi-multifunctional problem whereas most of these conditions that we deal with are encapsulated. You know, uh, there are similar conditions in psychiatry, such as you know, paranoia of the elderly or delusions of jealousy. You know, paranoia of the elderly is sometimes when people you know, become old, they become more and more paranoid. You know, maybe they, are, you know, they can't hear very well, they can't see very well, and they begin to become convinced that everybody's against them, you know, their kids are only waiting for them to die, so you know, they're only interested in inheritance. You know, that's a paranoia of the elderly, and nobody can convince them out of it. Uh, delusions of jealousy. You know, this is you know, where somebody becomes so convinced that their spouse or their girlfriend or their boyfriend are cheating on them, even though there's no you know, evidence to support it. Th those are encapsulated delusional system. So long times ago, 30, 40 years ago, when people tried to use Howdon, uh, Thorazine, they found that they don't work very well for these encapsulated delusional system, except Pimozide. So that's why Pimozide became very prominent in dermatology, because it seems to work uniquely well 
for encapsulated delusions. Now, the uniqueness of Pimozai became less uh, important nowadays because many of the atypical newer antipsychotics like resperidol, olanzapine, abilify, they all seem to work as, you know, as well. So, so in the old days, you know, people thought Pimozai was truly unique. Now it's not quite as unique. Now, by the way, uh, in my disclaimer, I said I have no conflict of interest, but I'm going to purposely use brand name, you know, because for dermatology audience, for me to say aripiprazole or something <laughs> like that, it's going to be very difficult for the audience to understand. If I say the brand name, Abilify, I think it's a little bit more easier to, under, you know, to, to catch. So how do you use <coughs> Pimozide? Um, consider getting EKG. Is it absolutely required? No. Uh, according to the American Psychiatric Association, um, about 10 years ago, they, you know, uh, their, their guideline is that the pimozide, you do not get, have to get EKG if, if one, if the patient doesn't have cardiac arrhythmia history, and two, if they are not elderly. Now, of course, you know, they never bother to define what is elderly. <laughs> so so uh, as I get older, my definition of elderly becomes further and further away. <laughs> anyway, um, now, how do you start this medicine? Well, first of all, many of you might be new to this medicine, and it's perfectly normal to feel nervous if you haven't used much of this. So you can start with as little as half a tablet. You know, you know, it's usually scored, but if it's not, you know, just have them buy a pew cutter and cut it in half. If you start with 0.5 milligrams, even you know, little old man or little old lady, uh, it's not gonna get any side effect. I can guarantee you with that, such a little. So what is the little dose for? To break the ice. And also, so you don't become anxious. <laughs> so so that, that's, that's your treatment, and no, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> So you can start with the lowest dose, and then every two, three weeks, you can go up by 0.5 milligram. <clears throat> now, but it's important to tell the patient that <clears throat> don't expect anything, no benefit, until you hit about three milligrams. Now, they might actually feel benefit before that, but you know the rule of medicine. If you want patient satisfaction, you know, don't overpromise and underdeliver. Underpromise and overdeliver. <laughs> so tell them that nothing happens before three, and then they'll be delighted if something happens before three milligrams. You know, so uh, you gradually go up, to, uh, aim for about three, and somewhere between three to five milligrams, uh, patients tend to notice significant improvement. Now, what, what does the improvement consist of? Number one, Formication, the crawling, biting, stinging sensation dramatically decrease. And the patient often interpret that to say that either the bugs are leaving them or they're dying. Second, they become less preoccupied mentally with this, with this condition. Uh, so they can actually enjoy life and do other things or go back to work, which is a great improvement. One thing about delusion, is that delusion can take up all of your mental space in time. So they cannot you know, enjoy life, they cannot focus on anything except this, you know, this delusional ideation. That's very typical of people who are psychotic. You know, so <clears throat> the preoccupation, 
the mental preoccupation become less and less. Now, what is the main side effect? You know, I already mentioned this medication is nearly identical to Haldo. So side effect is nearly identical to Haldo. <laughs> um, stiffness and restlessness. In, um, restlessness, if you remember, is called akathisia. You know, it's, it's an inner sense of restlessness, you know, where sometimes people cannot sit still. They have to keep standing up or walk around because they feel restless inside. Stiffness, well, of course, I think we all know what stiffness is. Now, psychiatrists like to use cogentin, one to two milligrams up to four times a day, PRN. That's perfectly fine. But uh, dermatologists like to use Benadryl. <laughs> Benadryl works just as well, plus it's over the counter. 25 milligrams up to four times a day as, <clears throat> as needed. The good thing about Benadryl is it's very easily accessible. You can buy it anywhere. Uh, on the other hand, with Benadryl, you have to tell them that, um, you know, about the sedative warning. So if they feel stiff or restless, that it doesn't mean they cannot take Pimozide. They, they do have to, um, as long as they have one of these and they can control it, then they can even continue to go up on the dose. Because in the literature, Pimozide still seems to work better than Resperidol, Olanzapine, or others. And once effective, uh, maintain steady dose for one to two months. In fact, it could, you could even maintain it for two to three months. <clears throat> if it, once it works, the patients are so grateful, they don't want to get off it. You know, so um, if you stop too soon, the delusion might come back. Um, so it's, it's better if they just stay on it. Now, the, the tardive dyskinesia is a possible side effect. If you look at the entire medical literature in dermatology, there's one article in the Journal of American Academy of Dermatology about 20 years ago that said there was one case. <clears throat> that was actually a misreport. <clears throat> I know that case. <clears throat> it wasn't my case, was, but, but that was withdrawal dyskinesia. Withdrawal dyskinesia is an extremely rare situation where people have tardive dyskinesia like movement, but it's self-limiting, and it happens after you stop the medication. You know, so to my knowledge, there's not a single case reported, although it's a theoretical possibility. But one thing I should say is the doses we're talking about, starting with half a milligram, creeping up by half a milligram every two, three weeks, to three to five milligrams a day, that's a very little dose. The main indication of Pimozide in the in US is Tourette's syndrome. Oops, I pushed the wrong button. It's Tourette's syndrome. <clears throat> One of the greatest advantages of Pimozide for these patients is that it has no psychiatric indication. It, its only indication is Tourette's. So it's much more acceptable to the patient. Um, because I tell them that this is a medication used for trial and error. And it's in fact uh, mainly you know, used for condition that you don't have. And I'm talking to the patient. You don't have the condition this medicine is intended for. And the patient said, what's the condition? And I said, Tourette's syndrome, do you know what that is? And sometimes they say yes. <clears throat> sometimes they say no. And if they say no, I said, it's problem with ticks. And sometimes they get very excited and say, yes, it's the right medicine. I got ticks. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I have to tell them what kind of tick I'm talking about. Then, then they look kind of deflated. <laughs> And then, they, they, then I say, well, 
It's also used overseas, not in America, but overseas for con another condition you don't have. And say, what is that? You know, remember, you don't have this condition. And say, yeah, what is that? It's schizophrenia. You don't have schizophrenia. And so, of course, I don't have schizophrenia. Now, that allows you to write in your note or here, you know, that the patient was informed that this medication is also used for Tourette's and schizophrenia overseas. Tourette's in America, schizo you know, schizophrenia overseas. That way, patient cannot come back and say, oh, you didn't tell me that this you know, could have a psych implication. But officially, it doesn't. Because in America, it has no uh, psych indication. And also, that's good because <clears throat> sometimes these patients are you know, uh, vigilant. Vigilant means they like to check everything. Paranoid people are often vigilant. You know, so when they pick up the medicine, <clears throat> sometimes they, oftentimes they ask the pharmacist, what is this medicine for? Now, pharmacist doesn't know what Pimozide is for because it's not used that much. So they have to look it up. And then when they see the indication, they turn around and say, oh, it's used for Tourette's. And they say, okay, that's fine. That's what my doctor told me. <laughs> and so the side effect, just like how though akathisia, which means restlessness, uh, EPXX pyramidal symptoms, pseudo-Parkinsonian symptoms, stiffness, uh, dyskinesia. Okay, acute dystonic reaction. Um, have, have I ever seen it with pimozide at this dose? No. Have I ever heard of it? No. Can it possibly happen? Yes, it could. What does it mean? In, uh, if you remember, like how though in very high dose, usually in mental hospital, some people can become suddenly very rigid. Um, but I, I just want to let you know, once again, we're, we're using very low dose because this medication works amazingly well for this encapsulated delusional system. So we don't have to go to high dose. Uh, you could tell them about, well, if, you know, if something becomes really stiff suddenly, number one, don't get scared. Well, first of all, tell them that it's probably never going to happen. <laughs> Uh, second is that if it does happen, don't get scared. It's not life-threatening. Second, you know, sit down somewhere and take Benadryl or Cogentin, um, and then <clears throat> just relax. It's going to pass, and it will. What you don't, you know, in, in extremely rare situation where I can imagine if somebody have acute dystonic reaction, once again, I'm not trying to make everybody excessively worried. You know, if, I have, if, I'm, if I'm a betting person, I tell you, you never see this. Um, you don't want them to end up in an emergency room where some emergency room doctor who doesn't know what we're trying to do look at this medicine and say, what kind of dermatology provider gave you this kind of medicine? <laughs> you know, so so, so the, 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 don't, don't you know, panic. Just take Benadryl. It will pass. And as I said, tardive dyskinesia, it's possible, but very unlikely. Now, <clears throat> it's, it's your choice. But when I start patient on Pimozide, I don't always tell them about tardive dyskinesia right before I start. Why? Because a lot of, a lot of the, these people are kind of ambivalent about taking this kind of medicine anyway. So I don't want to stack up so many negatives that you know, they just refuse to take it. Because if they refuse to take it, the rest of their life could be ruined. But once they take it and they experience improvement, then their whole um, you know, attitude about this medication totally changed. In fact, many of them become afraid that one day you're going to take this medication away from them. And that would be a good time to tell them about tardive dyskinesia, other side effect. Because things like tardive dyskinesia, it's not going to happen with one dose. It's, certainly, it's probably you know, not going to happen with one month. It's probably not going to happen with two months. 
Things like that with dyskinesia is something that happens over long term, if it ever. And as I mentioned, because we use such a low dose. And most of these cases, the typical cause is that you gradually go up on a dose until you get to three or five milligram. And then when they're much improved, you maintain it for, as I said, at least one to two months. I typically maintain for like three months. After that, I slowly taper it down. And guess what? Most of the time, I can taper it down to nothing. And you know, so it's very rare. And usually, it's you know, you know, the old people. Uh, usually, you know, I hate to say old ladies because in older patients, uh, for whatever reason, worldwide, it's predominantly the delusions of prostosis is seen in women as opposed to men. You know, so uh, old ladies might need like half a milligram or one milligram of pimozide maintenance rarely. But most people, if you if you don't rush it. And if you don't prematurely t t uh, decrease the dose, if you take your time, oftentimes I can taper almost anybody, and, and they're essentially cured. Um, it's kind of funny because if, when I say cured, I don't mean that they change their mind and come back and say, I'm sorry, I didn't have parasite. They never do that. You know, uh, they're cured because they think all the parasites are dead. <laughs> Which, you know, by psychiatric definition, they're still psychotic because their belief system have not changed. From dermatology point of view, they're cured. So, <laughs> um, Resperidol is a good alternative, especially for older people. By the way, one of the uh, uh, things to watch out for Pimozide, Pimozide does have many negative drug interactions, uh, including some SSRIs and Welbutrin. Uh, so I think it's good to check. And if you have to go for alternative, my number one alternative is Resperidol. Uh, one, two, or three milligram, just like Pimozide. Sometimes you have to go four or five, but it's also very effective. Olanzapine is another possibility. Abilify is another possibility. Because this medication works very well, uh, I'm pretty much fine with just Pimozide and Resperidol. I, I rarely use these other two. Uh, these medications are less likely to cause EPS and Tardif dyskinesia uh, because they are more selective in their binding of D2 dopamine 2 receptor than Pimozide. However, I don't know how clinically relevant this issue is because we use such a low dose of Pimozide. Unfortunately, all of these have psychiatric indication, uh, which means it may take more time and effort to uh, you know, make it acceptable to the patient. So, okay, now let's talk about how to talk to these people. Um, if somebody tell you, usually, um, <coughs> in, you know, uh, somebody in the office say, you know, one of those patients are coming here today. <laughs> and, and in fact, waiting in that waiting room for you to see. Um, now, first reaction most people have is, oh no, I'm already behind. Why do I have to see one of these? <laughs> and, and so it's very easy to walk in with, you know, kind of a, you know, unhappy face. So stop. <laughs> because if you walk in with unhappy face, you can compound your problem. Because these people might have negative kind of perception of providers from previous encounter with other providers anyway. You know, so you don't want to compound the problem. In fact, even if you walk in, you know, the ordinary, they might project negativity to you anyway. You know, um, because some of them are, you know, already kind of resentful, bitter, angry, you know, about other doctors or other providers who did not pay 
you know, attention to them. So stop and just take a moment and make sure you're working with positive mindset. Imagine you're meeting your favorite Hollywood star. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm really tired and I don't you know, feel grumpy, I, I literally have to take my hand and put a smile on my face. <laughs> Because I don't want, you know, you know, kind of a vicious cycle to start by walking in with long face. Now, um, let them talk f for a few minutes. So, so they have the experience of talking freely. But maintain control. More psychotic the patients are, the less they are aware of you know, social norms and manners. So, so they can easily take up your whole afternoon and still claim that you didn't spend enough time with them. You know, so if you let them control the interaction, you can be bent out of shape. And if you get bent out of shape and you become, begin to resent it and your waiting room starts to, to become very unpleasant atmosphere and you start worrying about that, then you couldn't help the patient anyway. You know, so it, it, it's important to maintain control. So how do you maintain control? On one hand, you know, you don't want get to get on to the bad side, so acting is helpful. You know, no matter how you feel, as I mentioned, look like you're a bright-eyed, bushy tail. You know, but at the same time, don't let them control you. So the way you maintain control with structured interaction you know, question, answer, question, answer. Now, you don't have to always do this, but, but if you feel like you're losing control, it's helpful. Like, when did this happen? You know, how long, you know, do you have allergies? Do you have medications? You know, do you, do you, you know, bang, bang, bang. It's like machine gun. You know, so question, answer, question, answer. That way you can regain control. Now, um, VIP treatment, in, you know, uh, these people um, often feel you know, negative about providers because they feel like they're ignored by other providers. So they actually really appreciate it if you, you know, not only you look you know, bright eye and bushy tail, you know, but if you're in the middle of the busy clinic, you're behind and, and patient like this, you know, how can you get rid of this patient quickly and so you can manage it better later? You know, one thing you can say is, Wow, your problem is so interesting. Uh, this isn't just another acne or eczema or psoriasis. I really want to spend time with you. But you know, right now it's very busy. Look at that waiting room. You know, so I cannot do justice, but I want you to come back at the end of you know, the clinic on such and such day so I can make, spend more time with you. Now, if you put it that way, they, they, they will be happy. You know, they'd be happy to leave, you know, to come back with happy anticipation. And then it's, you say, when you go to the front desk or if you have to call back for appointment, tell them that you are a VIP patient. Now, my staff know what VIP means. <laughs> <laughs> VIP means that the patient is scheduled at the end of the clinic and they are usually, well, you know, <laughs> Uh, so, 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 but, but the patient's really happy, like, wow, you know, everybody ignore me. And you are actually considering me a VIP patient. And of course, at the end of the clinic, you know, you can spend time and not have to be feeling stressed or rushed. Now, establishing rapport 
is more important than knowing how to write prescription for pimozide or resperidol, because if you don't have rapport, then they, you know, even if you write prescription, they're not going to take it anyway. You know, so um, rapport first, medication later. And what do I do if they keep on talking about parasites and so forth and you know, want, to, you know, want me to validate or want me to find the parasite? Well, um, I try to shift the patient's mindset from being fixated on ideology to becoming more pragmatic, you know, to be more interested in therapeutic benefit. You know, so I tell them that you have a mysterious condition. And now, they are really miserable. So more comments you make about their misery, the more they feel you know, good about you as a provider. Because they, they are really miserable. If they bring in specimen and so forth, you know, I think it's good to look at them, even though it might be just cruds. Um, and then when you tell them that, well, you know, um, I can't find any parasites, what, what if they bring actually cockroach? Well, <laughs> sometimes they actually bring an insect. But, but you say, well, there's an insect there, but I don't think it relates to your problem. Um, now, but sometimes it's good to spend you know, several sessions or even one session you know, just looking at the specimen and doing those things, even though you know you're not going to find anything. Um, because that's you know, important to establish rapport. And once you feel like the patient actually begins to trust you, begin to feel that you really care about them, you're different than other providers that didn't pay attention to them, then I find that it's a, it may be a good time to introduce treatment on a trial and error basis. Now, what that means is I admit the fact that we don't know what's causing this. But I also tell them there are many conditions in medicine and dermatology that we don't know what caused it. For example, you know, who in, who, what dermatology anybody uh, knows what causes lichen planus? You know, what causes pyrolysis rubula pilaris? What causes, you know, pyrolysis rosea? <laughs> Nobody knows. We have speculations. You know, what causes alopecia areata? In fact, you know, this is not just dermatology. You know, if you just grab somebody on a street, you know, who's on a high blood pressure medicine, and there are millions and millions on high blood pressure medicine, and say, tell me, why do you have high blood pressure? Most of them cannot tell you. You know, they say, well, my doctor said I have essential hypertension. What does essential mean? Essential means we don't know what causes it. <laughs> you know, so, so I tell these patients that, you know, in, in, in medical profession, we have to deal with many conditions that we wish knew what caused it, but we don't. And if we wait until we know what caused this problem, you and I might be both dead of old age. But you are miserable now. You need help now. You, know, you don't want to live another day like this. So why don't I, you know, and it, in medicine, it's perfectly fine to try something you know, trial and error, as long as it's done safely and under supervision. So would you like to try a medication? Now, if it, you purposely talk in a way that they cannot say no. 
You know, it's almost like the Godfather, you know, <laughs> make an offer they cannot refuse. <laughs> you know, so you have to be skillful in how you say it. And, and, and then, of course, if they are terminal, you know, delusion patient, as I said earlier, somebody who's not interested in getting better, you know, who's, you know, who's, you know, who doesn't mind, you know, their life going down the drain as long as somebody can validate them, then, then, it's, then it's hopeless. But most people, luckily, want help. They don't want to live like that. So, so then they say, and then I have a medication that really works well, but nobody knows how it works. And it's, it's used for a condition that you don't have, Tourette's syndrome, you know, so forth. You know, so that's how I introduced the medication. And uh, once again, if you see these things, you know, do look at it. You know, consider doing some lab tests if it's appropriate. Extremely rarely, vitamin B12 deficiency. Uh, in younger people, tox screen might be more, more useful if they're willing to do it. And thyroid function tests, you know, um, some of these extremely rarely can be helpful, but don't, you know, um, in, in, uh, you know, don't forget that most of these people do not have identifiable cause. So uh, this is what I was mentioning about trial and error, uh, because many conditions in medicine, we do not know the, uh, <coughs> the ideology. Um, once, do remember that if you adjust the dose upward with something like Pimozide, it may take up to six weeks before you actually you know, notice the maximum improvement. So it's important to tell the patient that. Now, if they you know, connected with you, you know, enough that they accept the, the oral medication, and if they actually begin to notice improvement, then time is on your side. You know, they will come see you, rain and shine. In fact, some of the most grateful patients I have ever had in my practice are people with delusion that nobody paid attention to that I was able to turn around. You know, so so that it, it could be very rewarding once you get used to, um, you know, uh, to, to connect it with them effectively. And um, once again, you know, don't stop the medicine quickly uh, if it's effective. Take your time. Oh, one last thing. Uh, the organizer also asked me to talk about neurodermatitis. <laughs> and I said, oh, I got five minutes left. <laughs> Um, you know, so I'm gonna, only going to say one thing about neurodermatitis. Neurodermatitis, or I can simple as chronicus, uh, which is similar to prigonodularis. People get kind of bumpy things, especially if they chronically itch and scratch. Yes, psycho, you know, I was asked to talk about it from a psychological point of view. Yes, you know, psychology can play a big role in people who chronically get lichen simplex chronicus or prigonodularis, but those people are not psychotic. So you can ask them directly. Don't be shy. You know, what is the best way to know what's happening? The best way is just ask them. Are you stressed? Are you anxious? <laughs> Are you depressed? And what you do, it depends on what they have. You know, people who are very stressed, sometimes they get into the habit of scratching and rubbing. Some people who are depressed do the same. You know, now extremely rarely, there are some people who, uh, kind of, you know, weird thinking that, that make them pick on their skin. But that's pretty rare for uh, neurodermatitis. And what you do, whether you're going to use anti-anxiety agent, whether you're going to go for antidepressant, it entirely depends on what they say. 
and and if and, and if they ha if they say nothing like no it's just itchy, then accept that. Long times ago, when Freudian psychology was very popular in America, when the patients say no, I don't have problem, then the provider is supposed to say you know actually you have problem, you just don't know it. <laughs> that is not fashionable anymore. <laughs> so, if they, so if they have, they just have itching, then give them clobetazole, <laughs> maybe under occlusion. You know, so anyway, I hope that's useful um, because you know, as, every practice um, see these kind of patients. And now you know, with this new reimbursement system um, that's coming down the pipeline, uh, it is important to uh, know how to, to not piss them off. And it's even better if we can get them better. Thank you. I think there's like three minutes left. If anybody have question, yes? In patients with delusional parasitosis, do you ever use something like stromectol just to kind of yeah. give them something that's right, to, that's right. to hold on to, say, if yeah. you have parasites, this will kill it? Yeah. Yeah, yes, that's a very good uh, question. Thank you for asking. You know, when you are trying to establish rapport, when you are ch trying to contact, uh, first of all, you refrain from talking about antipsychotic prematurely. Now, um, there are two, do I use some medications, even though, you know, they don't have parasites to try to connect? Yes. There's a medication called Eurax, E-U-R-A-X, Eurax cream or Eurax lotion. It's a prescription topical medication, cream or lotion, that has dual indication. You can use it because you have itching or skin irritation, or you can use it to cure scabies. So it's a, it's a prescription medicine that would instantly make these people happy. And you don't have to prove that they have parasite in order to prescribe it, because it's perfectly fine to use it for skin irritation or itching. But, and then the other thing is, of course, uh, permethrin, you know, elimite, you know. Um, now, whenever I use this kind of medication to, you know, to connect and buy time, I purposely tell them that this medication, whether it's Urax or permethrin, is very powerful. It kills everything. In fact, if you have something living, it, 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 you know, it's, everything's gonna be dead. So it should be a cure. If you didn't get a cure, if it was only a temporary improvement, or, or no improvement at all, it's, you know, that actually indicates that you don't have anything living. You know, so what I'm trying to do is to use you know, every uh, way I can think of to try to expand the healthier part of the, the, the mind and try to discourage the more sick part of the mind. You know, so instead of getting to power struggle like, you know, no, I'm not gonna give it, you know, I think it's, it, it, these medications are pretty innocuous. You know, whereas the condition, uh, the delusions of parasitosis or Morgellons untreated, usually ruin their life. You know, so, so I, I usually give it uh, on, on the, you know, with the understanding that it's not because I found parasite, because I'm open-minded, let's try it. If it doesn't work, then it probably means that you don't have anything living. Yes? What types of medication do you like to use for neurodermatitis? For neurodermatitis, uh, the, the main, well, of course, uh, in terms of 
uh, dermatologic medication, clobetazole under occlusion, intralegional, steroid. Uh, from psych psychological point of view, um, the two big thing is anxiety or depression. And when people say they're stressed out, you know, that's also a form of anxiety or tension. Now, for anxiety, uh, you can use several medications. First of all, um, if you don't feel comfortable using like Ativan or benzodiazepine, uh, you could actually even use uh, Atherax, hydroxyzine. Uh, hydroxyzine is an anti-anxiety agent. It, it's, it, it's also uh, marketed with another name. Instead of Atherax, it's called Vistero. And in fact, the use of you know, hydroxyzine as in a calming agent was its original use. The use in dermatology is secondary. So it's still marketed as Vistrio. You know, the, uh, the, the second thing, doxepin in low dose, you know, 10 milligrams or sometimes 20 milligrams, you know, it's known to have anti-anxiety effect as good as uh, Valium or Librium without the addictive potential, but you really have to titrate the dose. <coughs> Another medication that's useful for anxiety, paroxetine, Paxil, usually in a dose of 10 to 20 milligrams. Um, and, you know, the can, and if, in fact, Paxil has anxiety as one of its official indications, not just depression. So those are the good medications for anxiety. For depression, uh, if they have, uh, because these people have a lot of itching, doxepin can be helpful. Only thing is, doxepin is helpful for itching for any dosage like 10 or 20 or 30. But in order for doxepin to be an antidepressant, uh, generally, with, uh, you have to go close to 100 milligrams a day, which is probably maybe mind-boggling for dermatologists. And amazingly, a lot of people do actually tolerate that without sedation. The easier way is, once again, go for the SSRIs. You know, uh, my favorite is Paxil, uh, because Paxil is tend to be relaxing, not activating. You know, Prozac tend to be activating, Zoloft tend to be neutral, whereas paroxetine or Paxil tend to be a little bit more relaxing. And you don't have to titrate the dose like doxepin. If you just give them 20 milligrams, that's usually good enough for depression and probably help the anxiety as well. You know, so, um, uh, so, so that's, that's my usual first line for depression. I uh, really appreciate your attention. Really appreciate waking up so early. And now you know how to deal with these people. So that's great. Thank you very much. Thank <laughs> you.